Amen. Uh, good morning, Jubilee. Good morning to everybody who's here in the building and everybody who's joining us. Uh, my name's Mark and I'm part of the leadership here at, at Jubilee Church, Hull, UK. So, I'm continuing the series we've been looking at as a church entitled, This Is Us. Uh, and we've talked quite a lot this morning about church being a family. And today's, today's message, the, uh, the title or the theme of what we're looking at is the fact that we are a committed family, a people that are committed to each other. But although we've talked about the family and our community, the real thrust of what I'm going to talk about is just you as an individual. Because actually, when it comes to the fact that we are a family of people that are committed to each other, I'm going to look at the why. Why are we a family of people that have that commitment towards each other? And, and when it comes to why, it's very personal. It's very much about our relationship as an individual with God. Our relationship to each other is actually part of our relationship to God. It's not a separate thing. It's, it's born out of a thing. So uh, earlier in this series, Phil explained that we're a family whose sole reason to exist is for those who are not yet part of this family. And, uh, and that's something that's really stuck with me. And, and I've been thinking about what that means in more and more detail as, as uh, these last few weeks have passed. So, so we are committed to each other. Now, we are a family of people. We are committed to each other. Our, our purpose is for those that are not yet embraced within this family. We're committed to each other because of our individual relationship with God, with our individual relationship with Jesus. If it were all just about our individual relationship with Jesus, and there didn't need to be a horizontal outworking of that, then the moment second we got saved, we could have just been taken straight to heaven. We're rescued, we're saved, and from that point on, we could just go straight through the gates and into God's presence in heaven. But the fact is that isn't how it works. The fact is that the moment we get saved, we stay in our bodies. We stay on this earth because as Christians, from that moment on, we are heaven bound. But there's still work for us to do. There's still an outworking of that re new relationship with God that takes place in this phase on this planet. So we're committed to each other because of this relationship with God. And this is a covenant relationship. It's, it's the covenant relationship with God that defines our relationship with each other. When we became Christians, we came into the new covenant. Now, I, I don't know what you're like, but when I see something and it says the new something or other, the first thing I think of is, well, what about the old one? So uh, in the 1980s, we enjoyed a, a full decade of Tory leadership, of conservatives leading this country. And in the early 1990s, new labor, an electable labor was, was formed. And many of us asked the question, what was wrong with old labor? Or why is there a new labor? Why, why is the old labor not suitable for this period in time? 
Uh, when, when I walk into a supermarket and I see new recipe, I think, right, the old recipe must have, must have declined in sales. It must no longer be something that people of this era are interested in. So, so new covenants. We're going to unpack both those words, um, but we'll get to the new in a second. First of all, uh, let's, let's get into covenants. You know, when we accepted Jesus into our life, accepted him as our Lord and our Savior, we entered into the new covenant relationship. So what is a covenant relationship? Covenant is not a high-frequency word. It's not a word that, that well, it, it might be for you. It might be for you. You, you, you might operate in a sphere of poshness where, where you say covenant regularly. But I think most people don't really say the word covenant very much in general conversation. If you've bought a house, um, we always say bought a house. It probably it means you owe a building society or a bank a lot of money for a lot of years. But if you're a homeowner, you might have come across the word covenant. You might, you might have, in the process of buying a house, find that you can't keep pigs in your rear garden because there's a covenant on the land. Or, or maybe somebody else has the right to drive cattle across your land in October because there's a covenant on the land. Uh, possibly the covenant we're more familiar with is marriage is a covenant, a covenant between two people, between a, a man and a woman. Um, so covenant, it is a historical word, um, and it, it's throughout the Bible. The word covenant is a word that describes an agreement, a contract, or a treaty. It's, it's a serious commitment that defines a relationship. And it exists between two parties. They could be, in the case of, of marriage, they could be parties where both parties are equals. And a covenant is formed between two equal parties, and they enter into this covenant. They enter into an agreement that defines how they're going to operate. But it can also be a covenant, it can be an agreement between two very unequal parties. So a king and the subjects of a land could enter into a covenant. And they're not casual. A covenant is not a casual relationship. It's not something that is designed for transience. It's not designed to be a short-term fix. It's designed to be a solemn promise. And that's perhaps why partly we don't use the word very, very frequently at, at, uh, in, in modern times. Because when we're talking about relationships, when we, when we want to define something which is serious and lasts, we would normally use the word legal and we would normally use the legal profession and, and the country's government to back that relationship and to enforce that relationship. The idea that a permanent relationship can just be determined between two parties and it's mutually binding it is something that perhaps we're not the best with uh, in, in modern society. But it's not a casual thing. There are benefits for keeping a covenant, but there are, also, there are also penalties for breaking a covenant. The word covenant in Hebrew, when we read the Old Testament, is a word called berit, and it, and it means an agreement. But to make a covenant, we, we come across the phrase which is called karit berit, and it means to cut a covenant. 
and, and a covenant formed between two parties, two individuals in the Old Testament, they would normally make an agreement to enact that covenant by sacrificing an animal, by dividing its body into two halves, and the two parties that were agreeing to a covenant to walk between the two halves. Uh, in other words, the covenant would be sealed by blood. And we go on, and, and you know, things that, that we read about in the Bible have echoes all the way through history in the way people relate to each other. You know, and, and we talk about blood brothers, and we, we watch you know, films uh, where American Indians uh, and the settlers both cut their hand and rub them together to form a bond and a lasting bond between the two of them. So these things that, that we read about in the Bible echo throughout history. And obviously the covenants that we're going to look at are the covenants between God and between us, between his God and his people. So if that's what a covenant is, why, why are we under the new covenant? Was there an old covenant that happened before and was it time limited? Well, actually, there wasn't one old covenant. God made a series of covenants with people that we read about throughout the Old Testament. And what we've got to understand is the Old Testament foreshadows the New Testament. So the covenant that we are under, the relationship that we have with God, is a fulfillment of the Old Testament covenants. It, it, it's not that the Old Testament covenants are, are simply defunct. It's that they are fulfilled in one New Testament covenant. But when we read some of the major covenants in the Old Testament, we see something about the heart of God towards people. So we read about the Noahic covenant. So God gave people a garden and a world and had a desire for them to live, as John Fulvell said, at peace with themselves, at peace with God, and at peace with each other. But that didn't happen because the hearts of people were evil. And, and the flood is about a reboot. It's about God articulating, was it just one event that led to that? Could a reboot solve that problem? And at the end of the reboot, he says to Noah, this will never happen again. I promise you, I make a covenant with you that I will never again flood the whole earth. Then Abraham, the Abrahamic covenant, God says, your descendants will be as numerous as the stars in the sky. And through you, all families will be blessed. The Mosaic Covenant to Moses, if you obey me, you will be my people. You will be my treasured possession. And ultimately, these blessings will spread to all people. And then to David, the Davidic Covenant. My loving kindness will not depart from you. Your throne will be established forever. A series of covenants articulating the relationship that God has. And these covenants are all fulfilled in the new covenant. And through followers of Jesus, these covenants are, are outworked. So followers of Jesus, people who, who say, Jesus, you are my Lord, in that moment of time become the spiritual Israel. So when we read about the people of God, Israel, in the Old Testament, Israel doesn't refer to a nation state. 
Israel refers to a people of faith, a people following and enacting the promises of God. So it's, it's Christians that are referred to as a kingdom people. It's Christians that are able to bring God's kingdom to a hurting world. And the reason, the reason is because those initial covenants are fulfilled by one new covenant. So the covenants are in themselves are not a complete answer. And the reason that they're not a complete answer and they needed to be replaced by something which is greater, something that which we can all be a part of, is not because of the promises. It's not because of the covenants. It's not because of the agreements. The, the, the agreement is fine. The agreement between two parties, between God and people. And guess what? Not only is the agreement fine, but so is God. You know, sometimes when, when, when you make a legal agreement, you swear by something, you know. You say, I swear by so-and-so, or I swear by this, or, or I swear by the contents of my bank account. You, you choose something that is greater to hold you to account. When God makes the covenants, he swears by himself because there is nothing greater. But throughout the Old Testament, God is faithful to his covenants. So the covenant, the terms of the covenant are fine. One of the parties, God is fine, but the other party is flawed. The other party is humans. And the issue is the human heart, our nature, and sin. And the, the covenants that we read of throughout, throughout the Old Testament cannot deal with sin. So there is one covenant that replaces all the covenants that come before it. Uh, and it's the new covenant. And we're going to read in Hebrews 8, verses 9 through to 12. God was faithful in his covenant to a covenant-breaking people. And God's solution is the new covenant. A covenant that removes sin from the equation. A covenant that allows us to become Christians, to become into a relationship with God and come into a relationship where we are not destined to fall away. We are not destined to fall out of relationship. We are not destined to fail to keep the relationship with God going because the one thing that is always the issue, sin is removed by the new covenant. So in, we're going to read in Hebrews 8, 9 to 12, but this is, this is just a direct quote from Jeremiah 31, 30, 31 to 34. That nearly caught me out there because it's 31, 31. Jeremiah 31, 34. No. Th oh. In telling you, it nearly caught me out. It did catch me out. The scripture is Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 to 34. And that scripture is then used and quoted in Hebrews 8, 9 to 12. Why don't I just read it and stop talking? I'm only doing myself damage here. But God found fault with the people and said, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. 
It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they did not remain faithful to my covenant. And I turned away from them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will establish with the house of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I will put my laws in their mind. I will write them uh, on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbors or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest. And I will forgive their wickedness and I will remember their sins no more. By calling this covenant new, he made the first one obsolete. And what is obsolete and outdated will soon disappear. So the old covenants are replaced. And the new covenant, the new covenant allows us, as John Flavel said, to be at peace with ourselves, to be at peace with God, and to be at peace with one another. And it's mediated by Jesus. And this covenant is established on his sacrifice. See, before we had the sacrifice of bulls, we had goats, we had divided animals, we had blood. And there was power in that. And when we read in, in Exodus about the Passover, we read about the Israel people in Egypt. And we read how smearing blood across the lintel and the doorposts, protected the occupants of that household, that when judgment came, the angel of death that was there to apply judgment saw that this household was covered by the blood and judgment was not applied to that household. How much more so does the blood of Christ cover us? It's a once and for all sacrifice. Last week, you know, we broke, we broke bread together, uh, those of us who were in the building here. And we remembered, we remembered that there was a body that was broken. There was a blood that was shed. And that was the price for enacting the new covenant. And, and it, doesn't, it doesn't depend on what we do. It doesn't depend on what we were. It doesn't depend on the mistakes we're going to make. Because when, you know, when Jesus is on the cross, he says, it is finished. It is finished. That, that's it. Have you, have you heard of imposter syndrome? Imposter syndrome is when, when someone, I don't know, gives you a job or they give you a task. And, and when you start doing it, you don't think you're up to it. You, you, you feel everyone around you that's doing the same job is just better and more able and that you're just a bit rubbish. I feel it most days at work. Uh, it's, it's quite a normal human thing to feel, you know, imposter syndrome. But it's possible to feel it in church. It's possible to feel it among a community of believers. Oh, they're so much better Christians. They can pray or they don't struggle with sin. They don't make the mistakes. I've got a fiery temper still. All these other people, they, they, they're nigh on perfect. I don't fit in. That's just not true. That's just not how God views you or how God views me. You know, if you ever at any point said, God, I want you to be my Lord and I, just, I give my life to you, 
no matter how much of a mess you are making of it, you are under the new covenant. And me and you and anyone else, we are the same. We are sons of Christ. We are sons and daughters. We are co-heirs. There's no levels. We're all under the new covenant. Jesus said, it's finished. He finished it. And in Hebrews 10, 12 to 18, it goes on and it talks about the fact that when the priest, when this priest, Jesus, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sin, he sat down at the right hand of God. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. So that's it. You know, sin is out of the equation. It's gone. You are not a sinner. You're a new creation. Uh, I don't know what you're like, but um, I get myself into situations where people get a bit historical on me. So, so many times I have let God down since I became a Christian. Many times. Many times I have had within me the ability to choose to do the right thing, to choose to think the right thoughts, and not. And never, never has God reminded me of those failings, of those sins that I've committed since choosing to follow him. Never. He has chosen to take the sin and remove it as far as the east is from the west. He's chosen to not remember it. It no longer has a relevance to my relationship with God. But I've not just let God down many, many times. I've also let people down many, many times and thought the wrong thoughts about people and said the wrong things about people to their faces uh, or even just, just let them down by my own failings. And many of the people that I've wounded or upset or just annoyed have a different attitude to God. And, and when I do that, they get very historical. And they say, Mark, that's out of order. You know what? You did this last week as well. And, and the week before you did it. And I'm just getting sick of it. Or, oh, I can't believe you did that. That's awful. It reminds me of two years ago when you did a very, very similar thing. A thing that I'd managed to forget about. But they were holding on to the fact that I'd let them down. And, and God just does not deal with us like people deal with us. So, that's it, really. You know, that's, that's why we're a committed people. You know, we're a committed people, we're a body of people committed to each other. Why? Because actually each one of us has a relationship this way. We don't have a covenant between the two of us. We have a covenant, a new covenant with Jesus, which is a vertical covenant. But that vertical covenant has horizontal implications. That vertical covenant has a horizontal outworking. Now, it says in Matthew 18 in the, in the Bible, someone's asking Jesus, how many times should I forgive my brother? Seven times? And Jesus says, uh, no, 70 times seven times. But 70 times seven 
is, is actually um, just a, a, a New Testament shorthand of saying an infinite number. Uh, so just saying 70 times 7 was just a way of saying an absolutely massive amount that just goes on and on and on. How many times, how many times, you know, when I, when I offend someone, should they forgive me? Every single time. Why? Because they have a relationship. They are under the new covenant. And because they are forgiven, they can forgive me. I mean, it's not my job to try and push it to the limit and test them out on that. But, but how many times can I forgive someone who, who offends me? Every single time. Because I've been forgiven. I've been forgiven everything. And because I've been forgiven, I can be a forgiver. You know, Jesus, again, talking to the disciples, trying to articulate what it means, just says, just says it as simple as this. Love each other as I've loved you. Love each other as I've loved you. The very love and grace we receive from God, that's the, that's the very love and grace we have for each other. That's the very love and grace we can demonstrate for each other. You know, I said what Phil said has always been rattling around in my head. The purpose of this family is for those who are not yet in this family. You know, the quality of relationship within this family, the fact that as receivers of God's mercy and God's grace, we can demonstrate that to each other. What does that do? That reaches beyond our boundaries and reaches God's love to a hurting world. So really, church, all I want to do is to encourage you and say, you know, I don't think there's anyone who says, you know, I'm going to withhold love to that person because they don't meet my standards. I'm going to be offended by that person because of X, Y, and Z. But sometimes... Sometimes I think we're all guilty of trying to do it under our own steam. We're all guilty of trying to have the very relationship God would have with us to each other, but not doing it drawing on, on the source. I said we had this vertical relationship with God, and this vertical relationship with God means we have a horizontal relationship to each other but there's a dynamic there the power and the ability and the grace comes down in order for it to spread out and if we try and extend grace and patience and love and warmness to each other without receiving it ourselves we'll burn out you know we are conduits of God's grace we're not the sources of grace to each other and to the world. We're merely a channel for God's grace to pass through us. And when we fully understand, when we fully understand we're not sinners, we might sin tomorrow, but we're still not sinners. It's not our nature. When we fully understand that it is finished, then we don't have imposter syndrome. We don't, because what imposter syndrome does is it slows the flow. If we've got all sorts of things going in, in, in here, we're not receiving and we're not exporting the grace of God. So let's pray. God, we want to be a people that are a new covenant people.
A people that walk in the grace that we have received. And God, as we're together with our, our heads bowed or watching at home, Lord, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray a prayer for anyone who's not yet entered that relationship with Jesus, not yet said, I don't feel that that new covenant applies to me yet. So I'm going to pray a prayer, and, and if this applies to you, you can say this. You can say this in your head, or you can say it out loud. And we're available midweek as a church. We're easy to contact through the web or through our offices. Uh, and you can pray this after me. And then I'd encourage you to get in touch with someone and talk about the prayer that you've prayed. God, I, I want into this new covenant relationship. I understand that the blockage between me and you is the fact that I am a sinner and I have sin in my life. Lord, right now I pray that your sacrifice on the cross, your blood shed, your body broken will be used to cover up my sin and to remove all the sin that I've ever done and ever going to do and, and put it into that category of remembered no more so that I can be right with you. And from this moment forward, I want to become a follower of you. I want to become a Christian. Accept me into your family, Jesus. Amen. Thank you, church. If you did pray that prayer, and it's the first time you've prayed that prayer, just get in touch with us or talk to a Christian that you respect. Thank you, Casey.